ready to study the scripture? Take out your Bibles, and if you have your message notes, please grab a hold of those. If you don't have a message note, you can get the one from one of the ushers here. They have pens, they have notes. I'm a big believer in message notes because I think it helps you retain, retain uh, what hopefully what God is speaking to you, not just what I'm saying, all right? So get their attention and grab one of those message notes. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, we'll start off there today, and, uh, and I'll, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about uh, what's been happening in my life, and uh, we'll share the scriptures together. So let's pray. Father, would you give us revelation and, and understanding and insight into all that you're doing? And Lord, we pray that we would hear more than just me speaking, but that by your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to the very core of who we are, and help us to release our lives to you and follow you with everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As some of you may know, I went uh, on a wilderness trek. Twelve days I was away with uh, my team, uh, had uh, Brent and Marty and Spiro and Nate, and uh, we, we went together, the five of us, and we met five other people, and we went deep into the wilderness of southern Colorado. We went to a place called the Wemenuchi Wilderness. Fun word to know and say. Everybody say it together. Wemenuchi. Wemenuchi. The Wemenuchi Wilderness. It's the largest wilderness within Colorado, and it's in the San Juan Mountains in southern Colorado. It's a beautiful place, incredible vistas. Uh, the home of, I think, three or four or 14ers, uh, and, and it's such a great place. We went backpacking. All right, and so we took all that, that we should take, which I didn't realize what that was exactly when I signed up for this, but we put it all on our back, 40-some pounds on my back. I didn't, know, I didn't know if I could do it, but here's my backpack, and I want to show it to you. We took this, and, and, and we've, every day we hiked, uh, I think we averaged about six miles. Some days were longer than others because we were going up steep and rocky and difficult terrain. One day we hiked for 10 hours pretty much straight. You know, we took, took breathers and stopped for breaks, but we just kept going because we needed to make it to a place called The Bowl, which is in the Wemenuchi Wilderness. This beautiful place, incredible. Up at 11,500 feet, um, the oxygen was in short supply. It was one of the most challenging things I've ever done and one of the most rewarding. And it was so awesome. These are the boots that I wore. Look at those boots. Those were brand new boots before I took them on this trip. I've only had one hiking trip with those boots. Look how nasty they look. Those boots traveled about 43 miles, 43 miles over seven days. And, uh, and these, these, are, these, are my, uh, these are my gators. I didn't know what gators were. I thought they were alligators, but then they kept talking about gators. I what are gators? Well, you strap them around your shoe, and it keeps the rocks and the stuff from getting in your shoe. And the reason you have to do that is because we weren't traveling on trails. No, we were off trail. It was ridiculous, all the underbrush. There had been so much rain and stuff that there was, there was tons of stuff to walk through. And, and so all this stuff we had to take, it was incredible. I lost almost 10 pounds 
uh, over the time. Can you believe it? It was like we were working out six to eight hours a day. And, and so all my stuff is in here. This, this top part of my backpack is called the brain. And you can keep all your little stuff in here that you need each day. Like this is my, um, this is the bowl I ate out of every day. It's really nice. This is the brand new Bear Grylls knife I bought. I'd never owned a knife before. I only used it about three times. This is my headlamp, all right? I have this headlamp because you got to see at night, and if you have to get up in the middle of the night, like I do, you need something to see where you're going to do your business. This is, my, uh, this, is, this is my emergency blanket. I used this one time. We only had to use it one time when this huge thunderstorm came over us. We were climbing this mountain peak, and we were just about to get to the ridge, and the rain came. We had to put on all our rain gear, and then this, this lightning and thunder, the loudest thunder I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it was like it was right on us. We were kind of freaked out, so we were, we were cold, and so we put our emergency blankets around ourselves and waited for an hour for the rain to stop, and hoped that we wouldn't be struck by lightning. You think I'm kidding, but I'm being serious. This is my compass. I did not get lost. There's, thank you. This is, uh, this, I, I, I realized, I realized that um, in the wilderness, there are no napkins. This is a bandana, and you pretty much use this for everything. I mean, you, you wipe your nose on it, you clean pans with it, you, it's, it's, it's terrible. No, we don't do that with it, that's leaves. But, 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 but this, I had to use this for everything, and I'm like, I, I'm, I realized how addicted to napkins I am. This, these are my gloves when it got cold. Um, here's my cup that I drank from. Here's, oh, this is awesome. This is my, this is my piece of silverware. I carried it in my pocket. I ate every meal with this spork. Here's my gorilla tape. Here's my thing to make fires with. I don't know what they call that. It's a fire-making thingamajigger. And most of the time, I just use this. <laughs> this is my lighter. <laughs> I have this. This was actually Brent's. He let me use it. Um, for part of the trip, but this is a seat pad, a sit pad. You would be shocked four days in how grateful you are for a place to sit that is not hard. It was amazing. And so there's all kinds of stuff in here. If I go, if I go through my backpack, you see there's all kinds of things. Here's my bladder, my water bladder. I drank out of that. If you're carrying three liters of water everywhere, it's heavy. It's like six, between six and eight pounds. And so we, 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 we got water out of every stream. And so we filled our, our Nalgene bottles. And here's the hat I wore every day. Here's my other hat that I had to wear in the cold. I wore that at night, every night in the tent. I slept on the ground. Here's my wool socks. Oh, I love wool socks. Well, I have oh, fallen in love with wool socks. This is my sleeping pad. I've never been so grateful for half an inch of air half an inch of air below my body as I was sleeping on the ground. Here's my puffy. I don't know, it's out like manliness, mountain men, and oh, here, grab your puffy. I, I just don't get it. It's weird. It sounds weird to me. Um, this is my rain gear, my pants, and my shirt. Isn't that cute how they just wrap up like, okay, cute, maybe not. 
um, liners. Here's my sleeping bag that I slept in, zero degree sleeping bag. It was awesome. Here's my, my, I had one pair of pants the whole time, one pair of pants and two shirts in this bag. Well, I was wearing them, and so they weren't always in this bag. But by the end of the whole journey, my pants could stand up by themselves. It was unbelievable. Here's my trekking poles, and these trekking poles were a lifesaver because we were off the trail. I mean, we, we, I mean, we were climbing, and we were doing all this stuff. And, and it's, as you look at all this stuff that I have and all this stuff that we, that we take, here's a, this is called a bear can. I kept confusing it and calling it a beer can. But it's a bear can because it holds all our food so the bears don't get it at night. You lock it up. And, and so we all carried these. And I had a cook, cook team that I was assigned. Each of We had like three cook teams among the ten of us. And my cook team was my team, uh, Brent, Marty, Spiro, and Nate. And we all had to cook our food together. All right? We all had our rations together. And uh, I was so stressed out the first day. We hiked six miles. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to carry all that on my back. I was afraid of two things, really. Afraid I wasn't going to be able to, to, to really be strong enough to carry it through, which I'm amazed. Your body can do more than you think it can. And, and it was incredible how uh, each of us just found the limits and pushed a little further uh, as, we were, as we were hiking up. And then I was afraid of how to go to the bathroom in the wilderness. I have, I, have, I have two words, almost three, biodegradable toilet paper, <laughs> leaves and grass. Have you ever done it? You should try it sometime. Anyway, it's crazy. We get so, I'm so addicted to all the stuff that I have. In fact, as I look at all these things that I was taking, all this stuff has one design and one purpose. It is for me to put up with the elements. It's to deal with all the stuff that's going around me, going on around me. But what I found myself doing is I found myself trying to use all this stuff and even the, the uncertainty of it, I, I was so nervous because I wanted to control everything that was happening around me. The first lesson of being in the wilderness, the first lesson of being in the wilderness is I'm not in control. I didn't like it. I didn't like being, not being in control. I was the boss. I am the boss. All these guys are here with me, and I couldn't get, figure out how to be in control. A couple of them ran off to go fishing, and, and then I, we were supposed to, we, the other three were left there to try to figure out how to cook, and it was our first night, and I was so wound up. I was so tightly wound. I was like, what, are we, what am I doing? What are we cooking? What is this? Where's the food? It's in your bear can. How come you're not here to dump it out? I was, I, was, I mean, first night, and we're having a fight. It was awesome. And what was happening was my heart, my life was being peeled back a little bit. I was being exposed for the control freak that I am. And as I tried, as I tried as hard as I could, I, 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 I just couldn't, I, I mean, I, I was so nervous about things and there was so much uncertainty because I'm not a camper, man. I, I mean, I've camped a couple days here and there in the car, in a tent with a nice floor on it, but never on the ground, never hiking with everything on my back. And so this was a thing that in the wilderness always reveals 
your tolerance for uncertainty, for ad adversity and uncertainty. Adversity and uncertainty. The mountain always reveals a person's character. Here's the problem. Here in our urban culture, you know what we have? We have so many ways to distract ourselves. We have so many ways to hide, so many things to hide behind, so much to, to take our attention away from our restless souls. You don't really get to see the real person often. There is no such thing as control in the wilderness. There is only preparation and responsiveness. If you think about it, rain at any given time. Lightning storms show up. You don't even know they're coming. You, somebody on your team twists an ankle. Now you have to carry some of their stuff. Some, somehow the food gets ruined because somebody forgot to put it away or, or something. There's so many things that you want to control that you just cannot control by yourself. Control is something all of us love, and, and, and usually control is what we're trying to grasp for in the midst of adversity or uncertainty. Anger comes from our lack of control when we're facing adversity. Anger comes from not being able to control a situation that's adverse to us and we don't like it. And I find that even in our own lives, we end up buying a bunch of stuff. We end up accumulating a bunch of stuff and wearing it on our back to keep ourselves from having to deal with the discomfort of who we are or the lack of control that we have in others' lives. There's a process here that we have to understand. Now, preparation, is preparation bad? No. Preparation is good. Responding to whatever's happening in, in, you know, in real time, let's, let's take it out of the wilderness thing and, and say, as a Christian, should we prepare our lives and prepare our hearts and be good stewards of what God's given us? Should we do that? Yes. Should we respond to God no matter what's happening, no matter the tragedy or the difficulty or the struggle? Should that be a trigger to respond to God? Yes. But you can't use preparation and responsiveness as a way to control everything in your life, or even to control God. In fact, I find that some Christians try to use the Bible to control God. They try to use their own obedience to control God, and that is not the gospel message. God, I did this, and I did this, and this is what, and so you need to come through and do this. It doesn't work that way. Control is an illusion. It's an illusion. We think we can get it. We think we can grab onto it. And in the wilderness, what I'll tell you is, you think you can control all your surroundings, but the longer you're there, the more you realize all you're doing is just responding. You're getting ready and responding. You can't control it. We lie to ourselves if we think that we can control our own hearts. We lie to ourselves if we think we can control others. We lie to ourselves if we think that we can control the circumstances of our lives because the nature of the gospel revolves around this idea, the fact that we cannot control these things. And since we cannot control them, these things, we need to rely on somebody who will help us. When we try to control things, we separate ourselves from God. We put ourselves in charge. We separate ourselves from God's loving hand of help. There is only one thing to do, and it is to surrender. It is to yield. It is to admit weakness. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. 
verse 8, he's, he's talking, he's, he's speaking here to the Corinthian church, but he's telling a story about how he was afflicted. He, was, he had a, a thorn in his flesh, and he's saying, Jesus spoke to him one day, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, what is it? Weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'm going to be okay with my weaknesses. I'm, okay, I'm going to be okay without developing so much skill. See, I think human nature is to develop skills so we can control things. Human nature is to develop our abilities to the point that we can control our lives. It doesn't work. That's not how God works. He says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The admission that I can't be in control. The admission that I actually am weak. The admission that I need help. Verse 10 says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We cannot use our skills, accomplishments, or abilities to control. Kind of begs the question then, who, who, who is in control? Is, is God in control? There's a question, we'll put it a little more succinctly. Does God control everything? Depends on what you mean by control, doesn't it? Does God control everything? Uh, you know this phrase, I, I've heard it many times, oh, God is in control. And what they mean is God is overall. And, but but it's, I think it's inaccurate to say that God is controlling everything. There's enough injustice in the world for us to come to this conclusion. There are people fighting everywhere. As you turn on the news and you see what's going on around the world, He is not controlling all the events of mankind. But when we ask ourselves the question, does God control everything? I think we could say safely no. Jesus told us, when you pray, told his disciples, pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did he say that? Because his will's not done on earth. And we're praying for it to come. In fact, we're becoming the embodiment of the kingdom of God into the earth. And we're bringing his kingdom a little bit at a time. We're restoring all things as part of God's purpose in the earth. That's a, that's a powerful idea that we've got to get. Because when people think that God's controlling everything, there's nothing that bothers me more than when people say, well, everything happens for a reason. Kind of meaning that God meant this and did this. They're technically right. Everything does happen for a reason. But many of those reasons are bad. Many of those reasons are horrible decisions by other people, decisions by terrible, evil people, or decisions that come out of our own foolishness or an, an issue of natural law. The, you know, the fact that I was climbing up a mountain and got, we had this one moment where he got dangerously close to the edge, and if I would have kept playing on the edge, I could fall off. That would not be God's plan. My wife said, amen. That would be me being silly. And I slipped. And gravity is part of our world. 
So when you ask, does God control everything, the answer would be no. But God offers something greater than control. God offers something more profound, more mysterious, and more exceedingly beneficial to us than just the rudimentary concept of control. Are you guys still with me? Did I lose you there? What do you think it is? Something greater. It's called sovereignty. Now, all of you theologians, just put your theology hat on. You started thinking about Calvinism and Arminianism and, and free will and, and, and God's sovereignty. Here's what I will tell you. I, I, as a young man, I thought I was responsible for everything, and it was all about my will. And the older I get, I realize God's been involved a lot. <laughs> and that's probably good. When you're young, you need to think it's all about you. It's all up to you. Make good decisions. But when you're old, you realize that there's some tension here. And even in your own mistakes and even in your own failures, God was working through them. But I want to highlight for you the importance of seeing humanity how God sees us. God has a high view of our ability to make decisions. A high view. I don't think we understand how high his view is of us to make a good decision. And he gives us a decision of whether to choose him or not. It is the greatest decision we could ever make. I believe that that is a sign of respect and love. When we talk about control and you say, does God control me? You know why God doesn't control you? God, you know why God doesn't want to control you? He's not interested in controlling you. Because control is not a relational term. Control is something we can't do to our children or we ruin them. Control is something you try to do to your spouse, but it ruins the marriage. Control is something you try to do to your employees or to manipulate your boss. It doesn't work. What God is interested in is relationship, and that's why the secret to understanding sovereignty is found in relationship. That's your fill-in-the-blank right there. Write it in. The key, the secret to understanding God's sovereignty is embracing a relational view, not a doctrinal point of view, not an expertise point of view, not a, 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 an obedience, oh, we got to be obedient. It's, it's not even about that. It's about a relationship. <laughs> My wife and I have a love relationship. I love this woman. She loves me, but I... There's no way I could, would want to try to control her. Now, sometimes in our very dark moments, <laughs> I will try to leverage my influence on her. <laughs> and I'll try to get her to do something that I want her to do. But that's not how relationships really work. Romans 8.28, look at it in your notes. And we know... That in all things, how many things? All things, God works for the good of those who love him. Wait, who does he work for the good of? Now here, here's, here's kind of a, a, just a, a, a scary premise here. He doesn't, he's not working for the good of those who hate him. We can say with assurance, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is calling people to himself, that the Holy Spirit is always chasing people down, trying to call them to relationship with God. But God is not necessarily working on their behalf for good. 
Sometimes he's working for their ruin so they'll come to their senses and realize that they are helpless without him. I'll also say this. It is possible for you to make so many bad decisions that you ruin your life. You keep rejecting God, keep resisting Him. People keep rejecting Him until their hearts become so hardened, they destroy themselves. The newspapers are full of people who overdosed seeking a good time. Full of people who hurt someone else and got thrown in jail because they killed someone. They were trying to have a good time got behind the wheel of a car when they were drunk. There's so many decisions that you can make that, that begin to destroy you. But when you turn to God in a loving relationship, in a relationship that is, that is yielded and surrendered, and you start getting involved, as this verse says, in His purpose. You start yielding your life to His purposes. Do you have to live a perfect life? No, that's impossible. It's not even possible to do. But is it, does it mean you never have a fight with God? If you love Him? No. I'm married. I love my wife, but we have fights. Mostly because of me. But I love her with all my heart. And I think this is how it has to be with God. That there is a love relationship. And He is working for the good of those who have been called according to His purpose. So here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying about this verse. No one is a victim of their own circumstances. You are not a victim of your circumstances. You are only a victim of your perception and your attitude about your circumstances. Okay, now here's why this is true. Because if you believe that God is for you and not against you, no matter what tragic thing comes your way, you will turn to him for both comfort, strength, and courage, and wisdom to know how to handle what's going on. And he will be there. If you believe that it's not, you're not a victim of your circumstances, that it's only your perception and your attitude, it doesn't matter what happens to you, what comes your way, what difficulty, what struggle, what challenge, what horrendous thing other people do to you, you can respond knowing that God is working somehow behind the scenes for your benefit. And, and listen, part of the difficulty of life is scratching your head and going, God, I don't know, I don't see how you're going to make something good out of this. You ever been there? I have. How are you going to make something good out of this? Listen, this is, okay, go with me. This is what makes him God. He can take the most evil, awful thing and make something good out of it. He can take the most horrible thing that humans can do to each other. And, and if a person will turn to him in response to that, he can make a, an incredible testimony out of that stress and out of that struggle. He can make a message out of the mess. I love it. It's something so profound. And when you believe this, you never have to lose faith. When you believe this, you never have to. Now, it doesn't mean you won't call out to him and say, God, where are you and why haven't you answered me? If you look through the Psalms, you will see men through that entire Psalms, one, one through 150, you'll see them being honest and vulnerable and open with God. That's called a relationship. It's not, it's not called trying to control him. He's not trying to control you. That's not how this works. I've, I've become fond of saying we have plans and God has purposes. 
I don't even say that God has plans anymore. Because once you say that God has plans, it's like, oh, did I miss the plan? Oh, I screwed up the plan. Oh, the plan. And how's God going to make another plan now? now? He can. He's brilliant. Am I saying he never has plans for us? No, but here's what I want to say. I want to highlight that what God is most interested in is his purpose in your life. And whatever is happening in your life, if you yield it to them, he get, begins to accomplish his purpose. There's Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God can create good out of anything. He can take anything the devil can do, anything you can do, or anything someone else can do, and when placed in his hands, he molds and shapes and conforms it to his will and makes it beneficial for us. You ever heard somebody say, man, I never would have chosen that, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. You ever heard anybody say that? You know why they say that? Because something great happened to them out of a tragedy. That's the work of God. So how do we break the illusion of control? I have two things, two ideas, and then we're done. Two ways to break the illusion of control that we kind of get going on in our lives. And so the first one is daily prayer. Daily prayer. You know what daily prayer means? Daily prayer means you are conversing with him in a relationship. You're sharing with him everything in your life. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. How many situations? Every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now watch what happens. When you do that, here's what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's too big for your small little mind. It's beyond what you can imagine or figure out. Peace comes on you that doesn't make any sense. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What this verse says is, he wants you to bring your prayer, your petitions, your thanks, and your requests. Let me ask you a question. Does God already know what you need? He does. Why did, so why? Why the verse? Why, why does Paul write this down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He wants, you to talk, he wants to talk to you about it. He wants you to talk to him about it. He wants to know everything about your day. I was gone on this wilderness trip for 12 days, and I didn't have any phone service those whole, all those days. And it was like torture because I talked to my wife every day. If I'm traveling, we call on the phone. Very rarely skip a day. Sometimes we'll skip one and talk every other day. But, but, but I, I need to hear from her. We don't even talk about anything deep. It's just like, how's it going? How's the kids? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, it's like that whole thing. Like we play it out every time. But it's like hearing her voice and just connecting with her. I just, I, I have a settledness about it. That's what it has to be like with God. Daily prayer means you have a, a conversation going on with him. Daily prayer is saying that we don't have all the answers and we need help. I'm not talking about crisis prayer. Oh, God, I really need you right now. Oh, God. Now, he'll, he'll respond to you, right? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about daily disciplined conversation with God because it breaks the control feature that we all have, the control nature that we all gravitate to. Prayer is a confession that we are not in control. He is in charge of our lives. He's not controlling it, but we've submitted our lives to him. And prayer is a symbol and a, and a conversation that yields 
that fact to him. It, we're yielding to God's desire. We're yielding to his purpose and relinquishing control. Now, listen to me. In Next Sunday, we're going to start 21 days of prayer ramping up to the fall. 21 days of prayer. I'm going to provide some, some tools and resources for you. Uh, I think we're going, to, we're going to do morning prayer every day, and then we're going to do um, uh, a Friday night prayer meeting here at Monterey Oaks. And I, I, want you to, um, I want you to take advantage of this. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray for our friends who don't know Christ. We're going to, we're going to lift our eyes from what we've been doing all summer and, and from the the control nature that we have as school starts to get everything on schedule, and we're going to give time to God every day to pray, to tell Him He's in charge, that we're submitted, and we want to follow Him, and we trust Him to work on our behalf. And so we're going to do that. Next, next Sunday, it begins, all right? And I want you to join me. Let's Listen, as a church, we've, we have to do things like this to get our perspective back in order. And so I want you to do that with me. And number two, number two, here it is. The second thing that breaks the illusion of control is consistent giving. Consistent giving. What I mean by this is giving financially. Material possessions and money are the most, one of the most controlling forces in our society. They control our minds with anxiety and concern or fear. They, we control money. We control other people with money that we have at our, in our possession. We're, we, we, we just give into a, a sense of control, trying to make sure we have enough and trying to make sure we have what we need. And so when you give to God financially, it means that you're trusting someone other than your own money. Here's what Jesus said about it, Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money has a way of gripping our hearts. Materialism has a way of gripping us and taking all of our attention. And then we, and then we, we want to control all our circumstances so we can get the things that we want and get the things that we need. But let me tell you, consistent giving is most practically done. The most practical way to give consistently is to tithe to your local church. It is an Old Testament idea that is confirmed in the New Testament and tithing, some of you are like, tithing, what's that? Tithing. Tithing means tenth. And it's a brilliant concept. Tenth means a tenth of your income. You give it away to God. And when you give a tithe to God, the wonder of it is the richest guy in the world can do it because it's 10%. And the poorest guy in the world can do it because it's just 10%. It's a scale. God did that on purpose, so it wouldn't be about how much money you have or don't have. And when you loosen the grip of materialism and money by tithing, it's a practice. I think it's a practical, one of the most practical things you can do. I don't think it's a law. I don't think it's a rule you have to obey, but I think it unlocks blessing in your life. I, don't, I think it's, a, it's not a have to, it's a get to, it's a want to. And when you find your way to that kind of consistent giving, what you find is that God can do more with the 90% that you have left than you can with 100% that you're trying to control. 
And so as you do that, an incredible thing begins to happen. And you may not, you may, like, I don't know, I can't do that. 10%, it's so huge. I, I'm so underwater right now where I am. How can I do that? Well, listen, start with 1%. Start with 1% and give him that, that first month. Go to 2% the next month, 3% the following month. Go all the way to 10 months and get to 10%. And I guarantee you God will have done something in your soul and in your heart and possibly in your finances. I believe that. And the reason I believe is because of what Jesus says here and so many other places in the New Testament where Jesus talks about possessions and money and how they grip a hold of us and grab a hold of us. And so here's what I want us to say to you as your pastor. I don't get up here and do a mini sermon every offering time. I don't harp on this thing because you know what my goal is? My desire, we need to teach on it more, but I, I, my desire is for you to have a lifestyle of giving. I want us to be a generous church. We, we, give, we give 10% every, every Sunday when we receive an offering, 10% of that goes to missions and church planting. And then a, a bunch of money beyond that goes to benevolence and caring for people. I want us to be generous. But here's what I'll tell you. Tithing, tithing is like training wheels for generosity. It's the first step. You want to be a generous person? You want to be a person that gives instead of a person that always takes? Start tithing. There's something that unlocks in you. It, un, it, it busts open the control feature, the control, this desire that you have in your heart. And so we make choices every month about how to create this as a lifestyle. One of the things we do is offering boxes at the end of the service instead of passing. We, uh, we make sure you have like Push pay, which is for your smartphone. You can, you, can, you can give from anywhere. You receive something. Here's how my wife and I do it. My wife and I, we tithe off everything that comes into our house. If it comes in, we get a check. It comes from somewhere. We immediately, I'll go to my smartphone and I'll tithe on it. I just believe, and it's a concept of first fruits. That's what the Bible calls it. And there's something that's unlocked for us. And so I want you to think about this. Pray every day. Pray not because of duty or some ritual, but because of a conversation and relationship where you need to hear from him and he wants to hear from you. And then give of your money. Be generous. Be, don't be tight-fisted. Be open-handed. And as you do that, God will take control out of your life and he'll replace it with his purpose, with his provision, with his help with his life, with his peace. Hey, hey, I've never been so clear in my mind than when I went to the wilderness and it just became me. I didn't have anything to hide behind. I, didn't have, I, I couldn't do anything with all the accoutrements that they gave me to put on my back. I had to learn all that. It, it took me back to kindergarten and it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. I wonder if you'd be willing to do that with God. Okay, God. Take me back to kindergarten. All the stuff that's hanging on me, all the stuff I try to control, I want to give it back to you. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let me pray over you. And I want you just to pray with me in this prayer. Father, forgive me for trying to control everything that goes on in my life. And I want to be a good steward, but sometimes even being a good steward becomes some kind of leverage tool to keep me from bad things happening. I know that's impossible, that there's, there's a big 
world out here, and we're, we're all going through it together, but we know that you love us. I know that you love me. And I know that you want to know me. You want me to know you. And so in your sovereignty today, would you reveal yourself to me? Reveal yourself to us here in this room. Would you help us to relinquish control? Forgive us for trying to control others. Forgive me for trying to control things in my life that really are not even possible. Forgive me for trying to be in charge. Now I want to put you in charge and I, I want to relate to you as the leader and the, I become the follower. And we become partners and co-laborers in this world to bring the kingdom of God. Father, teach us how to do that. Forgive us for doing our own thing and going our own way. Give us grace now to move forward. To, to As we relinquish everything, to just be filled with clarity. Help us to pray each day. Help us to, even if it's just a few moments, to get up and, and talk to you in the morning and talk to you at night before we go to bed. Help us, Lord, to, to not be stingy with our money, but to give freely and bless others, to be consistent in a discipline of giving. Lord, we pray this, that you'd make us into the kind of people that would be a testimony of who you really are, instead of the messed up picture that people have. We could be the real thing, and we could show people who you really are, and then they would want to know you too. Help us do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.